plants food and and then they will um okay we're continuing in ezekiel uh, good morning to everybody um we're in chapter seven but i, I wanted to plug chapter eight again uh encourage people you know read ahead we i, I might get to start a little of chapter eight but um chapter eight through eleven are a single unit and they begin with an introduction in the first four verses of chapter eight they end with a conclusion in like the last um four three or four verses of chapter 11 that are in a chiastic formula and it's really showing you that that eight through 11 are a um, a very unified organized unit of thought and and it's so it's helpful to read the whole thing it there's no way to cover it all like in in one in one uh, session but um i would call chapter eight which has four what we might call scenes one of the commentators i've read calls them scenes scene one scene two three and four uh a tour it's it's like ezekiel gets a guided tour of what's happening back home that justifies um what god's going to do and chapter seven of course outlines what he's going to do we're going to see that in in uh, in vivid terms but someone could still raise their hand as, as some are prone to do and say well why would you know that's like god's you know he's going overboard he's doing too much uh you have to see how bad it's really gotten and and, and then have to realize that even with all those practices I, I think those people don't think they're doing anything wrong we had this great capacity to put on our own blinders um, to sin and, and to a lack of, of uh, holiness. And, and that's what these people have done anyway. So uh encourage you to look at that. And like I said, we, we might barely get to, to start it. But uh, chapter eight begins, he gives a time marker exactly 14 months after the opening of the, uh, the book, uh, you know, with the first vision. So uh, anyway, very interesting stuff. Chapter six and seven go together. They're a unit as well. And if you remember, um, uh, chapters four and five were were a bit of a unit because uh, chapters four and five had uh, these dramatizations. Chapter six and seven will have these two sermons. And, and the prophet in, in chapter three was called to be a watchman. And we're going to see him play that role in chapter seven. He's the watchman. And, and, you know, I kind of back up and I look at structure. Um, um, when, you, when we study the Bible, uh, there's a lot of, 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 you know, important things to do to, to, to learn our Bibles well. And uh, we, we, a lot of times we talk about words and what they mean. And, and that's where things, especially like studying the Hebrew and stuff, is, is very helpful. But getting the structure of a book is, is, is really helpful, too. Our Bible writers are very organized. And, and so it helps us a cabin the context for a particular passage knowing the structure and then and then something else that i think is frequently overlooked is what style of literature it is um and chapter seven is as i had indicated the last time is is poetry and in a uh, in an older translation uh like a king james and um, maybe a new king james although that's not that old but you're, you know, they they won't they won't indicate that it's poetry. Like you you wouldn't necessarily know just looking at the English translation that is that it's poetry. Uh, but but in your modern translations, um, if you have one, you'll you'll probably see. I'm not aware of any modern translation that doesn't do this. But they'll 
they'll they'll mark it off as poetry. And and when we think of of uh, you know poetry in English, um, not all of it rhymes. But when I think of poetry, I often think of you know something like an Edgar Allan Poe or, or something that rhymes as as opposed to something more abstract and 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 not as, as structured. Um, poetry in Hebrew doesn't have to rhyme, uh, and 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 we don't usually see that, and we certainly won't see it in our English. But it is carefully structured. It has kind of a meter to it. But it it um, will use typically more figures of speech, and it will also uh, often write in like couplets, uh, you know. But lines lines of the poem uh, will repeat ideas or build on them, and that kind of thing. Uh, because you bring in maybe figurative elements, uh, it can it can be more powerful to uh, convey a message. Um, uh, if you think of of the Psalms, um, they're typically written in poetic. I think all of them are written poetically. Um, much of much of the prophets, but not all of it. Like we saw, you know, we haven't seen poetry up to now, but but you have it in in there. And a lot of the prophet prophetic messages uh, in our writing prophets are, are poetry. Um, the uh, the book of Proverbs is 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 poetry. Um, not the first two chapters of Job, but most, you know, the book after that, most of it is is poetry and until some of the stuff at the end. So we have lots of poetry. And and, and that said, uh, even though we take what we would think of as kind of a literal plain sense hermeneutic, we do have to allow for um, figures of speech. So we'll with that in mind, we'll we'll see what happens. So Ezekiel's the watchman. And, and if you remember in chapter uh, six, um God told him to to basically preach a sermon to the land, you know, go talk to the mountains, talk to the trees, talk to the ravines and valleys, because this gift of God, the promised land that flowed with milk and honey, had been so abused by idolatry, and uh, and uh, that that is, uh, you know, going to be the, the the reason that that the destruction is going to come to the city of of Jerusalem, but. Um, the way in which that's actually going to play out gets elaborated on in chapter seven. And then when you get to chapter eight, um, you're going to get much more details, not just the general, hey, they're idolaters, but you're going to get to go sit in the room with them and watch them do their idolatry, watch them pray to their idols. Uh, that's what Ezekiel gets to do. So you can see in that way how it's, it's organized, you know, chapter six, the reasons Chapter seven kind of unfolds in, in some vivid um, poetic detail, the assault of Jerusalem by um, or what will happen, what's going to come. And then chapter eight, nine, eleven is going to elaborate on this idolatry. So um, he's he's the watchman in, in, in chapter seven, verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, uh, son of man. This is what the Lord God says to the land of Israel. And so these are the words that, you know, the prophet in turn will deliver to the people. Now, he's not, of course, he's not there in Jerusalem. Um, they had Jeremiah uh, there to announce what's going to happen. But he's talking to the people uh, in, in, in the captivity already because it, it, it seems likely there's still just a, a high level of confidence. This whole thing's going to blow over and we're, we're going home. And, and they need to know that uh, God is serious. This is coming with finality. But the message is of such, um, uh, 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 it's so big, it's so uh, tremendous 
that, and it's not what they want to hear, that I think they're going to have a hard time listening. And you'll see why. He, he, he starts right off with something we might expect to see somebody walking in the, uh, in, in, you know, in the movies, I always see protesters and there's always a guy that has a sign saying the end is near or something like that. Well, that's what he says. Uh, an end, the end has come. And then he says on the four corners of the, of the earth, but that could be four corners of the, of the land um, because this is not a global end. Uh, similar phrases I do think get used elsewhere in the scripture to indicate something more global. Uh, but here, um, they're, they're used, I think, of the land of Israel, that, that, that no part of it's going to escape. Um, you, you and, you know, we all realize that the land doesn't actually have corners. It's a figure of speech. Uh, the idea is that if, if, uh, you know, if, if, it's kind of a metaphor in a sense, but if, if you've got the four corners, then it's everything. Then it's everything. Um, sometimes I hear people say, well, if it's got corners, the earth is flat. So that's kind of silly. But, you know, we're in poetry. Um, the end is now upon you, he says. I will send my anger against you and I'll judge you according to your ways. Uh, he'll repeat that several times. This isn't just in Ezekiel, right? I mean, this is what we see through, throughout the scripture. Uh, God will judge our works, uh, and, and, and even as Christians, while we don't stand, um, you, you know, there's not a judgment for us with regard to our eternal destiny. Uh, we give an account for ourselves, uh, as, as the Apostle Paul would say. Everybody's going to stand before Christ and give an account, uh, but but some are going to do it at what we sometimes call the white throne judgment that uh, is in the Book of Revelation, and and. They're going to be judged according to their works. Now, what's dealing with here is not, and this is important, not eternal destiny, but the principle is there. Um, we shouldn't assume, uh, although it could be true that that many of these people are, are simply not believers, uh, but but that doesn't come into the picture. Um, God is temporally temporally judging them. And and according to their works, and and that's also not a surprise. That is what Romans one announces uh, in 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 I think chapter one verse eighteen, and we've mentioned that yeah, I mentioned that last week, uh, and 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 there in the balance of Romans one, God is temporally judging people uh, with with His wrath, which which. Uh, uh, will you, you know which i i think doesn't happen to to christians there but it doesn't mean that they're all going to hell either uh in real time as people are unrighteous romans 1 says god pours out a wrath on the on unrighteousness um and and that's what you see play out there so here in, in ezekiel don't we, we shouldn't assume that this is you know because we're just not told one way or the other about eternal destiny God is dealing uh, with uh, them on their works. It's a temporal judgment, not unlike Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, that, that from another time, not unlike the flood in Noah's time. Uh, you know, he's dealing with them temporally. Uh, certainly, though, uh, I, I think it's not a, an unreasonable uh, uh, understanding that many of these people, and especially when we get to chapters 8 through 11, are are not really uh believers it, it would seem that way uh but but you know 
we can't say that's true of all of them or or what whatever. It's just kind of reading between the lines because they're not worshiping God at all anymore. Well, um, he says, I'm going to punish you for your detestable practices, which will be the idolatry. I'll not look on you with pity or spare you. That's what happened uh, earlier in the book when when he was playing soldier uh, in, in chapter four. He was doing the siege and he put the iron plate between himself and the city. That's that's this playing out because uh, God's not going to hear their prayers. And as you get toward the end of this, this poem, uh, it's, it's going to have a, a very explicit statement that they're going to want to hear from God. They're going to want one of the prophets or the priests to, to provide counsel, and they'll have nothing to offer. Um, God's going to shut the window of, of any uh, prof- prophecy uh, to them, any news. So um, he's not going to spare them. I'll punish you for your ways and for your detestable practices within you. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. And that becomes the, um, the phrase that will get repeated frequently in the book. Uh, these things will happen so you'll know that he is the Lord. And I think we could add by implication that he alone is the Lord. Okay, He alone is Yahweh. That's, that's what they're to see. Think about it um, in terms of uh, these people are doing their idolatry. And, and you know, even when the uh, attack comes, I, I think up and, you know, they're going to still be praying to these idols. It's going to be. You know, and then by the time they, they they think, well, maybe we should turn back to God, of course, it'll be too late. But they're going to know that that uh, Yahweh and Yahweh alone is God and, and that they've been they've, they've gone down a path they shouldn't have gone to. So um, uh, thoughts or comments so far? Yes, that word in verse two for corners is kanafot mm-hmm. from kanaf. It means a wing. So uh, it's like the wings are the extremities of the animal. It mm-hmm. means extremities. I think it's just we're using an English idiom there, right? The four corners. But in Hebrew, it's actually the four wings. So if anybody is using that verse to say that the earth is flat. square or flat, then they're, you know, committing an exegetical fallacy. Well, th- thank you. Then that's that's a helpful. That's helpful. Because uh, you're right, it is. It, it has become a bit of a of an English idiom to talk about the four corners, which which I think makes makes sense to us. We kind of get what it means, but but I've I've and, and, and frankly, it's usually people um, who who think you can only look to the um, King James translation uh, that will insist on a very literal understanding of what even you know even in English is intended as a figure of speech. But that's that's interesting. That that gives a, a it seems like a a person reading in in Hebrew couldn't miss it. That it's it's simply saying all of all of the land um, is going to be under judgment. Yeah. So um, uh, God is like the herald, um, or or he has the you know God's words through Ezekiel, the watchman <laughs> or the herald. You know, a, a watchman would stand at the at the wall or on the wall up at a at a you know a position where he could you know in a watchtower where he could see in a distance, and and if you see an army approaching, of course you would announce it. What Ezekiel is doing is seeing um, a judgment approaching, and of course it's an army, 
and and he's going to announce it. But as we as walk through this, just get the, I mean, th this is a beautifully written chapter of the Bible. Uh, it's 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 true to what was said early in the book when he was told to eat the scroll, and it was sweet in his mouth but bitter in his stomach. It is there's a beauty to how it's written. It's extraordinarily vivid, and and yet. Um, it's it's terrible right it's 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 total destruction which which will lead um the prophet and 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 really the the people as we'll see in chapter eight there'll be elders there that are, are really wondering if god's going to do this is anyone going to live and and when you get to chapter nine god's going to give an answer to that and it's similar to what happens back in or happened back in in genesis where abraham has a, a dialogue with God about removing people before Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Uh, and, and basically God is going to uh, protect a remnant because they haven't bowed the knee to the idols. Okay. So that's, that's coming, but uh, just look at the vividness of it. Look, one disaster, one disaster after another is coming. An end has come. An end is, he's stressing this because, if people think it maybe isn't going to come, that somehow this all just gets okay. And and I think, you know, they could turn on their TV preachers and their TV preachers would tell them it's all good. God God is, is, is you know, we're the people of God. He's going to bless us. They need to hear this uh, sort of untarnished, as it were. Um, uh, it is awakened against you. Okay. This great disaster. Look, it is coming. You know, he says, look, it's coming. It's this is the, the imagery that's, that's, you know, asking you to essentially stand on the watchtower with him and look in the distance and you can see the storm or or see the, you know, the army coming, that kind of, of, of imagery. Doom has come on you, inhabitants of the land. The time has come. The day is near. There will be panic on the mountains and not celebration. Remember, in the last chapter, he preached to the mountains because they had their high places there. They celebrated and worshiped there and typically engaged in sexual activities there, sin sinful activities that were that were called worship. And so instead of that, not celebration, there's going to be panic on the mountains as, as what happens is this big army sweeps through. He says in verse 8, I'll pour out my wrath on you very soon. I'll exhaust my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. There's the standard again. I'll punish you for your detestable practices. I won't look on you with pity or spare you. I will punish you for your ways. Um, this, this is, you, you, you remember when Ezekiel was called to his ministry, he said uh, to the prophet, you know, you, you have to tell them. And if they won't repent, the, you know, the blood's, you know, essentially their fault. But if you don't tell them, their blood's on your hands. And, and they're a rebellious house, they're stiff-necked, all that stuff. This is why, because this is just not a message people want to hear. And, 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 and in our culture, I, I think of course, it's, it's difficult to live above our culture. And, and even though we're called to, we're called to renew our mind. I think it's an especial challenge for a, a, a preacher uh, to tell people that, that some of the things they're doing, that maybe the whole culture is doing, are wrong. But, but that's, their, that's their job. Uh, I, I would hope in church we wouldn't hear 
um, a message of sort of uh, of this nature every week because the word of God is is multifaceted and a lot of the passages are encouraging. But there has to be a place in the modern church for telling people the truth, especially about some cultural things we're doing that are an affront to God. And uh, and Ezekiel's doing that. Uh, he, he says, then you will know, verse 9 at the end, that it is I, the Lord, who strikes. And, you know, he said that in verse 4. He says that in verse 9. So you can see how there's this unity. And he brings it back. You're going to know that God did it. And the reason you're going to know is because he told you ahead of time and all the little gods that they've been worshiping cannot stop it. They can't slow it down. Uh, and, 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 and again, vividly, the, the, the herald, the watchman in verse 10, here's the day. Here it comes like it's right here. Doom is on its way. And he has a um, an interesting verse that you could take a couple of different ways, I suppose. Um, he says after that, the rod has blossomed. The rod is blossomed. Um, you may remember that um, uh, back in uh, with Aaron, with Moses, his brother, uh, Aaron had a rod. And you remember it, it blossomed uh, back in uh, number 17, his rod and, and stuff. And it had indicated that God had selected Aaron for service. This imagery might call that back. Uh, but it also... Uh, is something you can say of a tree, like like uh, a tree in blossom. And Jeremiah, the first chapter of Jeremiah, talks about an almond tree blossoming, and and the blossoming is indicating a, a time of judgment's coming. Um, that may well be what it is. I think the 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 effort here, the attempt is, if you look at the next line, remember it's poetry, and this helps us to interpret. The rod has blossomed arrogance has blossomed uh and and so those clearly relate just like ver you know the first two uh you know the first couplet here's the day here it comes doom is on its way see it, it flows together so you, you typically are seeing pairs of lines typically but not always that kind of flow together um the rod has blossomed their their wickedness i think is the point is in full blossom like a tree and now that rod of judgment is ready, is ready. And, and it's the rod of judgment that is, is coming. Um, what about arrogance? You see that in that last line, arrogance has bloomed. Um, what's the significance of, of, of that statement to what's happening? Thoughts? I think arrogance is the sin of Satan. So I think they've gotten as far away from God as possible. I I think when we're seeing what we're seeing between the Epstein Island, between the man and the woman, we don't know what's a man. We don't know what's a woman. The whole, um, the people trying to stop that movie that's exposing child trafficking i mean this is just beyond the pale at this point this is really it's, bad it, and then it's, it's revealed yeah. the ugly truth oh we want child trafficking that's yeah. the reality and and don't, um don't you think that this arrogance arrogance typically means 
I think I know more than everybody else does. And, and so we think we know what we're doing is okay. Yeah, I think, I think so. But it, it is that like they do and, and because they won't listen. Right. And that's the problem of pride. And, 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 and pride is, 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 um, pride's the core sin. Like it is. I mean, the, the greatest commands to love others, but if we don't love, it's, it's because of pride. And, and, and it's, it's, as, as Judge said, it's Satan's sin that you see uh, spoken of him. Uh, when you read about Satan in, in, in Ezekiel, as we'll get to later, uh, it's pride. He'll, he'll, God will speak to the king of Tyre and then to, and then to Satan. And it was his pride. Um, but, but the, the arrogance is, is, um, also this idea that, that they, they can't, they won't have consequence either. They won't, you know, they're getting away with it. Um, it's interesting. And, and I had uh, on our Facebook page, I had recommended a, a book by uh, Nancy Piercy that I'm, I'm right at the tail end of. It's an excellent book, um, The Toxic War on Masculinity. Um, it's a very scholarly work. And by that, I mean, it in, incorporates tons of um, uh, research and, and uh, just it's, it's just very, very scholarly, but very well written. And, and, and in her chapter where she's talking about abusive husbands that are physically, verbally, mentally abusive, uh, one of the things that comes out of that, which is frankly not a surprise at all from a biblical perspective, is that um, uh, these, these men uh, have a high degree of arrogance. Uh, they're not men who do these bad things because they just lose their temper. Uh, they do them intentionally to manipulate everything around them. And, and a lot of times uh, they prosper in churches. Uh, sometimes they are pastors and Bible study leaders because they are so good at manipulating and so arrogant that no one can bring them down. Uh, this is, this is what the human heart is. And, and when you read uh, Romans one and you're seeing what's happening there, when when sin is allowed to just continue, uh, the sin principle, the sin nature, there's a pride that goes with it. That yes, it it, it is uh, like exactly what what Lou said, and 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 also this idea that I'm I can get away with it. I can manipulate people and circumstances, and I'm okay. And and when we I get think... into those later chapters, that I keep referencing like chapter eight, nine, you know, ten. Uh, you're going to see that. They they think they've gotten away with it. Um, we have a little uh, treasure in in the prophets and 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 I will say in general as a comment. You know, uh, when we when we take this arrogance pride issue and start looking at a lot of the the the, the social problems we have in this country and cultural <clears throat> the cultural climate change that no one's talking about. Everybody wants to talk about the climate change, but the cultural climate change is the real problem. Um. The prophets need to be preached because they are just dipping down. I mean, can you imagine Ezekiel coming to you, the United States of America, and speaking directly to us? Uh, I think he might say some of the same things uh, that he said. Uh, in, in this little treasure, though, that we call Obadiah, when you're trying to find Obadiah, it's before Jonah, if that helps. But it's, it's a single chapter book, and it's so fascinating to me. Um, it may be one of the oldest, if not the oldest, written uh, a prophet. But um, Obadiah is a single chapter, and it's a judgment announced on Edom. 
Edom was that little region, that little um, kind of nation that was just south of Judah. And um, the last prominent Edomite is Herod the Great in, in, in the beginning of our, our Gospels. And, and when you read what the Edomites did, which may, and it depends on when you think Obadiah was written, it is possible that it's 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 really really old it's also possible that it was written sometime after the destruction of jerusalem that we're looking at in ezekiel but regardless of the timing uh when when uh, people from jerusalem were trying to escape a destruction the edomites turned them back so they could watch them die and they thought they were getting away with it and and uh and as god uh you know pronounces their their judgment he calls out their pride um, the Edomites, and, and and you can go and look at this on the internet. There's a um, uh, a city uh, that's still there, uh, ruins from the Edomites called Petra. Uh, the people vacation to it. It's some of the best preserved ruins in the world. They carved a city in the in the mountains, and um, they they had a pride because of that land. Uh, and, and I'll read you a verse. They, they, they thought they were untouchable. And the fact is, for a long time, no one could hardly get to them because they could hide in the mountains, including in Petra, which is very difficult to get to. You have to essentially ride on um, a, a you know, horse or a camel or a mule to get there and, and go through a narrow a passage where, you know, if you're an army, you get ambushed. And when God spoke to the Edomites in, 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 in Obadiah verse um two and three he said look i'll make you insignificant among the nations you'll be deeply despised and he did i mean after herod the great they're gone and listen to this your arrogant heart has deceived you you who live in the clefts of the rock in your home on the heights who say to yourself who can bring me down to the ground and uh that's that's the when i think of arrogance i always think of these edomites and, and, and probably we all know some people, just, just people that are just like that. They think nothing can bring them down. Uh, uh, Susan, you have a hand raised? Yeah, um, I, I think that the um, zeitgeist of Western civilization, at least anyway, right now, is at the point where we are as much like Satan, I think, as we could possibly be. And it's that arrogance that was showing itself at the Tower of Babel. We don't want to take God's way. We want to build our own way. And this idea of climate change being used for political purposes and the fear porn is ridiculous with that. And mm -hmm. the idea that we actually have the ability to change the climate ourselves and to avoid. I mean, it's like we're God and that is what Satan wants. And that's the prime sin. And that's what I see in Western Civ right now. Yeah, we, we, we have, we, we clearly have um, a confluence of a lot of things going on I think the challenge for us as Christians is, is uh, one, you got to make it personal first. If arrogance gets people to the place where these guys are in Ezekiel 7, you know, because we're Christians, we're not exempt from arrogance. Um, um, you know, I, I've, you know, I've always felt like I struggle with it, and I suspect I'm not the only one. 
because even uh, knowing a lot of Bible, I mean, we're just, we're, we're almost anything that we can latch onto to make us feel better than someone we will in, in our, in our sin nature. Right. And we have to overcome that. And here's Jesus who comes, who's the creator of the universe and he's meek or, or, you know, the old King James word, he's humble. And, and arrogance will get us as Christians into a, a bunch of trouble. And, and as I, you know, was reading that book I referenced earlier, um, you had a lot of, and these were real stories of, of, of that she's cataloged and, and it's not, she's a conservative Christian. She's not trying to bash that. But the fact that these things could um, uh, could even prosper in churches, you know, these these uh, abusive men and even become church leaders, uh, there there's just an, an arrogance. And, and w- what happens in the arrogance? They don't think they've done anything wrong. Right. These people don't. And, and so anyway, we can delude ourselves. Uh, but but after we make it personal, we look at our own hearts and and try to you know recognize that you know God you know let's let the grace of God work in us. Um, I think I think that that as, as Christians we need to seek a a much higher level of discernment, uh, to which there are a number of factors uh, that we need to look at, and a lot of that that would help uh, for us is be, become some students of history and and get an idea of how things have changed just in the last 300 years, how the way people think has changed. And when you start looking at that, it's like, oh my God, there's a, there's a, a very clear pattern, a trail as it were of, of cultural climate change. That is the biggest concern. Uh, it's the big storm front that we should be worried about. And, um, and we need to see it more clearly. And, and I think sometimes uh, Bible study, um, you know, it, it, it stays at kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, it just, it doesn't get into the level of discernment it needs to. We tend to focus on symptoms. And, and what I'm suggesting is to see how all these things connect together. Like we have um, the climate change issue that's been mentioned, as I, I said earlier, um, or I think I said, I certainly thought it, um, um, uh, um, people who um, abuse other people uh, are arrogant because they think they can never be caught. Uh, they never even contemplate the idea that God would hold them accountable for their works. But they always um, rule over the the abused person, the victim, uh, with fear. And it's troubling when when we see our government uh, try to do the same. But but beyond that, though, the way people think, the way our culture thinks, it's changed radically in 300 years. And because we don't uh, typically have a good sense of, of history or our history is just kind of dates and events and not how people think. Um, we, we don't, we don't necessarily see the big picture of what's changing and it's changing very rapidly. Uh, and, and anyway, it's, I don't have time to get into all of that, but I just, I do recommend getting into some of those books of some of the writers have done a good job laying some of that out, like Os Guinness, Francis Schaefer and, uh, Nancy Piercy. Uh, Os Guinness and Nancy Piercy were both students of Schaefer's. Um, when, when you start seeing that, it, it at least allows to see a, a, a bit more of of the underpinnings of how we got where we're at that may help us uh, in ministering to people because uh, the the worldview is so radically different from a Christian worldview. 
But I think we have to have a dialogue with people about that uh, as, as so, so, somewhat of a pre-evangelism to give them the gospel. So I'll stop there. Uh, Judd? Um, I just or, wanted okay. to, yeah. to, will you please define what you mean by the cultural cl- climate change? Would you just give the, a little more explanation on that? Yeah, yeah. What, what I'm talking about is is exactly this thing about how uh, our culture has changed so much. I, I think that um, evangelical kind of Bible-believing churches are often uh, lagging behind the culture in our understanding. It's, it's easy, of course, to deliver a message that rails on something that, that the culture thinks is good and God calls it a sin. I get that. But why does the culture uh, think that it's okay for um, a, a man to live out his life as a, as, as a female or, or a woman as a man and to, you know, and for men to, but, you know, be on the girls basketball team or whatever, you know, why do they think that's okay? What has happened? Because even 20 years ago, most people, you know, in this country would not have thought it was okay. And that's the cultural climate change. It's, it's the rapidly changing worldview that's gone from modern to postmodern uh, to post-truth. Uh, and on its way to, and this is the reason you're hearing about AI all the time this year, on its way to transhumanism, which was always the goal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, get, I, give, you, you. I give you a good example. In Hollywood, I think it was in the 1940s or the 1950s, the rule was if there was a bedroom scene that the man and the woman had to have at least one foot on the floor. And now you've got homosexual sex scenes. You've got all kinds of crazy abominations going on. So that's a good example of the cultural climate change, how far we've gone. That's only like, you know, 80 years. And another thing too, right? In Ezekiel, that word abominations, toeva in Hebrew, Hmm. occurs 117 times in the Old Testament. 42 of those occurrences are in Ezekiel. So that's telling you what they were doing. And we're doing the. I think there's a link, you know, Sue and Winnie made the link and you're making the link. There's a link. We're doing those same abominations that they did. Expecting a different outcome. Yeah. Oh, of course, because they absolutely, if they thought that they couldn't affect climate change, if they thought the climate was changing, not just the weather climate, but, you know, whatever. People want to control their own lives. That's the bottom line. And so Satan appeals to that. They don't want to give themselves to God. They don't want God's will. They want their own will. And that is the, that I think is the intrinsic fight within a soul. Yeah. Well, I will be like the most high. I will be like the most high. You know, I saw, I follow a little bit. I even though he's got my I hate the I hate the that you're going to work your way to heaven crowd. I get a lot of news from Steve Dace. He's on Twitter. And when you see the pictures of these politicians and these stars and everybody at Epstein Island, I just think of how dare you? 
even ones I like, even ones I really like, that you think you can get away with this. You know, Donald, you know, Donald Trump was there. All over the place, yeah. all yeah. over, right? Right, uh, kissy poo with all of them. It's like takes your breath away that anyone thinks they can get away with anything. If they have a thimble full of doctrine, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and nobody gets away with anything. Well, and and that's an amen, right? I mean, that's the point. Is is that is what Ezekiel is telling us? Nobody, even God's chosen people, you know, as a nation, get away with it. Uh, God's gonna, you know, and, and 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 we have a lot of people. They don't want the prophets. They don't like Ezekiel because a loving God won't do that. No, loving God will, and He's going to do it again. And and you know, and and um, I, I think this is a valuable d- discussion because we, we have to uh, look at Ezekiel, which is so long ago, and think about our current culture and and what we're doing as a nation, uh, not with a view to being uh, cynical, not with a view to being uh, looking down our noses at people. Um, if I'm going to minister to people in this culture, uh, people who are growing up in this culture, I need to understand how they think uh, in, in order to have an intelligent dialogue. If all I can do is say what you're doing is wrong, um, I'm not going to uh, probably have much um, success uh, with, with showing an alternative worldview and why it's better and the worldview we have we we look at the symptoms and even even a lot of the people that are so sucked up in this culture they see the symptoms and and i give you an, a one with without going too far down this rabbit rabbit hole but um you know the the, the sex trafficking that, that we're hearing about like we have that because it was satan's goal to have that uh amos in in the book of amos you read those first three chapters addresses it in scathing terms, because Israel itself, uh, speaking of the northern kingdom, that's who Amos prophecy to, had engaged in it. It was selling their children. And and, he's, and, and he says, you know, God hates this. And he's fixing to come and he's going to spank you for it. But, but um, you know, we, we've done that. But you have some people that, you know, oh, this is awful. We have trained our, our, our young men in this culture for this, uh, we've taken, uh, uh, you know, pornography, pictures, videos, much of which is violent. Uh, that's the kind that sells the most. And, and we've called it art to justify it. And we want to make it freely accessible to everybody and then uh, feign some surprise that, that this stuff you fed them. It has has the has the uh, the very has obvious the result that they view women as flesh napkins, uh, as inhuman, not in the image of God, and deserving of no respect nor even life. And and you know it's just like it's and and then completely unbridled capitalism comes in and says, well, you know, we got a way to make money here. And these people do not mm-hmm. think it's wrong. They have what the Bible calls a seared conscience. And yet the same group of people who promoted the practices that lead to this uh, try to act like, like like they expected a different result. It's like lighting the fuse on dynamite 
and and then and then cursing the explosion like you knew it's what kind of like the nazis mm-hmm. you know they they went about the the whole final solution and then they were like well we were just following orders we we didn't really expect that it would be this bad or yeah, yeah. it's just like a total total uh disconnect between your actions and the idea of consequences but i really oh. like your narrowing it down because i can take all day to uh say that the 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 sky is falling and point to several things that show the sky is falling or will shortly fall but you're talking about witnessing to people what do we say i'm my own daughter who's uh like 38 um she is completely wrapped up in the world she is a gamer and she just loves to play i mean that is her life other than her job and making enough money to eat she has her friends through gaming and she has this little bubble that she lives in and she's very liberal thinking and she doesn't and she was brought up on the word so it's, you know, when I talk to her, I really have to stretch my brain to think, how can I get through? How can I get through? Yeah. And a lot of times it's by asking questions so that they have to answer them in their own heads rather than you just making declarative statements. That's right. That's right. And what I, you know, I've suggested some of these books and the reason is because in, in my experience, um, you know, I've been in a handful of, of good churches over the years. Um, I've only known uh, one one uh, preacher that I personally knew and got to listen to his preaching that that had, uh, uh, you know, presented messages to help people understand cultural climate change and what we're seeing now in, in a broader sweep of history. And those books I've suggested uh, do exactly that. Uh, virtually anything by Os Guinness, and I'm not saying because they've got it all figured out or they know everything. It's not a point. The way they analyze, and especially those Nancy Piercy books and the the, the new one, the Toxic War Masculinity, uh, she has, in a sense, it sounds like a narrow focus, but it really sweeps broadly. And and what she one of the things she's talking about over. And she begins, she begins in the Middle Ages. In fact, she even goes back to the first century in a lot of it. And she carries forward the concept of manhood and what we think of as a real man all the way up through how that thought changed in colonial times during the first and second awakening. And, 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 and what we think of as, 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 a, as a man and, and, a, and, a, and a, a good man and a biblical man has radically changed. Uh, and especially after the Industrial Revolution. So she traces this whole thing and and it gets you up to why, uh, you, you know, in a sense, why the secular man today and many Christian men who behave secular, why they're the way they are and, 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 and why the culture has accepted. Right. We have this idea. I mean, the culture tells us, you know, boys will be boys. And and, um, you know, why do why do the television shows generally present the husband if it's a sitcom as a as a as a doofus, as a Homer Simpson? Right. So she traces that. And I'm just saying the the analysis, the kind of way of getting it 
is is valuable because you can you can you can look at a lot of the issues we're seeing today and understand it that way. Um, the 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 reason that people uh, feel like even though they're saying out one side of their mouth, follow the science out the outside, the other side of their mouth, they're saying, I'm a woman because I feel like a woman. Well, what's the underpinning for that view? And, and, and if we can understand it, then we can try to have a better dialogue about why the Christian worldview is a better and is the correct worldview and how the Christian worldview speaks directly to their issue to the issue about gender dysphoria and to the issue about uh, manhood and what really is a real man because Jesus is, I mean, Jesus himself really characterizes what a real man should be like. But but our culture has a very different idea. It has UFC fighters and that's a real man, right? But but it's it's different. And and I and I want to have that conversation and in like and I, and I get what you're you know you talk about like you know young people and they use different issues whether it's the gaming and stuff and, and not all that stuff's bad obviously but um there's there's a biblical it's not reality there well it's it's not but it's there for a reason satan is destroying the family unit he's been doing it for a long time that's why he's got us to a point where 40 percent of the young children in our culture do not have a father in the picture at all he wanted that and the reason's very simple being a real man is best passed on from an actively engaged father to the son that's how it's best passed on i'm not saying there's no other way i'm just saying that's a fact and and if if, if you can destroy the so-called nuclear family it's also where values get passed on it's where a lot of things get get passed on uh within the family we're hearing in our day, in this year, in 2023, there's a upkick in articles, and, the, and this is not a brand new thing. It's been going on for a long time, but uh, no one, I mean, I mean, Hillary Clinton has said it, uh, it, part of her campaign thing, we need to have the government raise the children. Why do we need the government to raise the children? Because we don't need families passing on family values, including biblical truth to the children. And so we need the government. That's why we need the school day to last longer. We need it to be year round. We need the children in the hands of the government as much as possible because we need to indoctrinate them. You, well, that's what you, the you, Soviet you, Union did. Well, sure. And, and, and I'm just, I don't want to sound like the, the, I just all I'm saying is there's a confluence of multiple things coming together. And we see all these little symptoms. Biblical discernment is, is gets to how do I see it all hooked together? How do I see the that it's all one canvas, and if somebody's pulling the strings, it's Satan. And it helps me to see that, but it also, we've got to be able to talk to people in a reasoned way as to why, you know, give an example to tie this back to where I had started with my my illustration of the the pride of the the um the abusive husband. You know, when when you get to the Bible, the reality is the Bible elevated women at a time when no one else did. Jesus is scandalous and hated for a number of things, including especially his elevation of women. When he speaks to the lady at the well in John 4, um, you know, he's not even supposed to talk to her. She's not worthy to be spoken to. Uh, she is a woman. 
women at that time, uh, you, you know, they it just they, they didn't have those rights. And and uh, the children uh, infanticide, either pre-born or post-born in Roman culture was legal until you became a legal Roman citizen as a teenager. Your father could have you killed for any reason. Uh, the wife was 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 the property. Her job was was to have babies. He was expected to have mistresses and concubines, of course. But 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 the children uh, and, and 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 they were routinely killed. Uh, there, uh, much of the writing in the first century uh, advises as good public policy to kill the children that you don't want or need, and especially to kill all the girls. Right? I mean, that continues into our our culture today. When you when you see that stuff, then you see Jesus, okay, and it's because they've accepted that 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 society's view of of children. The disciples are are are, are getting onto the these these ladies that have brought their children to see Jesus, and Jesus said, "Well, hey, wait a second, you let those babies come see me." It, it you know we we just we think, oh, that's nice. Jesus loves the children. He's turning the culture upside down. He is saying those children are people. They have rights and and they are equal in his eyes to anyone else in the room. And it's just we, we have to see how radically different it is. And 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 now all these 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 terrible things we see happening. And and it is true. A lot of these bad things have happened. These men like Harvey Weinstein, they have this arrogance, which is where we started, that they can never be brought down. And they do these awful things. We've sort of reaped what we've sown. But guess what? The Bible was always saying that was wrong. And and uh, anyway, I hope that makes some sense. But I'll uh, I'll stop ranting. Uh, let's let's look at a little more of, of Ezekiel in the next few minutes. Um, you know, he said that the arrogance has bloomed. Once arrogance is in full bloom, uh, it's over. And and that's kind of what what will happen in in Romans one and and sort of maybe you know. If there's an arrogance meter or something, we're going to hit a certain uh, uh, arrogance uh, reading and then and God's going to deal with us. Um, violence, he says in verse 11, has grown into a rod of wickedness. Um, we have violence all around. You, you know, the, 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 the problem is, you know, in their day and in ours, uh, there's this idea that certain things sins you know it, it's kind of you know it has no victims it's isolated and and the bible really says you know just like you know there's fruit not fruits of the spirit there's you know these sins of the flesh kind of all go together not meaning that everybody does all of them but but we have this idea that we could have uh these certain areas of sin and it, it doesn't it doesn't affect anything it doesn't have a uh, a blast zone or something and 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 especially this this started ramping up rapidly in the 1960s with the idea that there should be no sexual boundaries at all do what you want have have babies if you want you know and and what we've actually seen is it's led to a lot of bad things and i, I won't get into all that but just to say this that sin isn't confined uh and neither is our personal sins uh, a, a man who is uh, uh hooked on uh, a pornography, it will not only impact his relationship with his wife, but with his children as well. It can destroy them and it can have long, long reaching consequences, um, addictions of different sorts. Um, we, we, it just, it doesn't just affect us. And, and, and violence is one of those 
that's an outgrowth usually of sins that people think, oh, no one's getting hurt. I always hear that. This doesn't hurt anybody. The worldview behind it is what's at stake. And that's why it's important to have a biblical worldview to be able to discern the worldview of our modern culture. It's not just the symptom, the actual sin that they're doing. It's the worldview that says that's okay. That's the thing I'm afraid of because the worldview, and listen to this, that says that we can cancel people, that we can we can say, we don't like your opinion, and so we're going to cancel you. That worldview will promote violence and killing. It always will. Uh, this violence is an outgrowth of, of other, other sins, especially arrogance. Because in my arrogance, other people don't have value, and I have a right to have my way, and 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 I don't see them in the image of God. They're they're inferior in some way. The soon as you start thinking certain people are inferior and need to be canceled, you're willing to kill them, and that's what's happened here. Violence and it's it's grown into a rod of wickedness. It just kind of goes worse and worse and worse. And he says none of them will remain. None of that crowd. None of their wealth or money, uh, and none of their uh, imminent, the, the 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 smart people, the rich people, the influencers as we call them, none of them will remain. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let the buyer not rejoice. I think he's talking about the land. God's going to take the land away from them. So the person who's buying up some land and maybe buying land that was previously owned. Uh, by the people that have already been taken captive, like Ezekiel, uh, they're not going to rejoice. Why? Because they may have paid the down payment, but they're not getting the land. And the seller, he says, let the seller not mourn, uh, because why wouldn't the seller mourn? They were going to lose the land anyway, because God's fixing to come take it away from them. For wrath is on her whole crowd, the whole nation's crowd. Uh, the seller will not return to, in, in order to get what, what was sold. They won't be able to return. Um, this may be a reference to Jubilee, if you think of it in terms of land, because you could sell the land, but every 50th year, it would revert back to the person who originally owned it. He says, you ain't coming back. You you sell it now for money, but you ain't getting it back. Um, uh, the seller will, will not return as long as he and the buyer remain alive. The vision concerning her whole crowd will not be revoked. God says, I'm not going to hold it back. The uh, Because of the iniquity of each one, none will preserve his life. Um, you know, they've blown the trumpet. Uh, no one goes to war. My wrath's on the whole crowd. Uh, verse 15 says so much. The sword is on the outside, meaning outside the city. If you try to escape the city, there's going to be the soldiers there with the sword to kill you. Plague and famine are on the inside. Whoever is in the field will die by the sword. If you're outside the city, the soldiers will kill you. If you're inside the city, famine and plague will destroy you. Uh, verse 15, uh, survivors among them will escape and live on the mountains like doves of the valley. And they'll moan and, and each over his own iniquity. So there's going to be some survivors out there, probably people who were outside the city before the soldiers came. Um, their hands will be weak, verse 16 or 17, rather, it's a picture of of fear, of trembling. The hands are weak. The knees will run with urine, which uh, could could mean a couple of things, but it could could have the idea that they've they've you know messed on themselves in fear. Um, they'll put on sackcloth in verse eighteen. 
this is grief mixed with terror at the same time. Uh, people grieve by putting on sackcloth and ashes, the kind of thing that, that we see in a number of places. Uh, horror will over, overwhelm them. Shame will cover their faces. Their heads will be bald. So, um, and then, uh, well, let's stop there because we're at the hour, but we'll we'll just have a couple of verses to finish up. You kind of get the the sense. This thing is so vivid. There's no way anybody could uh, could read it if they think this is a prophet from God and believe that things are going to turn out okay. And and this is you just put yourself in their shoes. It is so contrary to everything they believe. It is as hard for them to believe this as it would be if a prophet today named Ezekiel told us, guess what? Very, very soon, within within a year or something, um, you know, this country, the United States, will be overrun. Like we it's just it's so outside our, our our thinking that that could even happen. That's how it was for these people. So you, you you put yourself in their shoes. This was really hard, really hard to take. So we'll pause there.